Monticello sits on top of a mountain, so I have to take a shuttle to get up to the house where I work. And I got in the shuttle, and I have my name tag on, and a woman sits next to me, and she goes, wow, we listened to your podcast on the drive here. That was the first and only time I've ever been recognized. It was very big for me. You're listening to Recorded Content, a podcast for small, scrappy B2B marketing teams who want to get the most out of podcasting. In each episode, we capture stories from industry experts and podcasters. Listen in and uncover what it takes to launch, run, and grow a successful B2B podcast. Check out and subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Let's jump in. Hey. This is Justin Brown. I'm the co-founder of Motion and your host for this episode of Recorded Content. Recorded Content is brought to you by Motion, a done-for-you podcast agency for small, scrappy B2B tech marketers. Today, I have Olivia Brown on the show. Olivia runs Mountaintop History, a podcast produced by the Thomas Jefferson Foundation at Monticello. Olivia is a historian and recently began publishing podcasts on behalf of Monticello, telling different stories about Jefferson and his life and those around it. The reason I wanted to bring Olivia on is because her approach to podcasting is different than many people in B2B. She isn't just hopping on and quote unquote having conversations with people. Her podcasts are based on detailed research, at times done with a guest in a narrative format and other times done as a solo act. Today, we're going to get into what it's like to put together podcasts that require incredible detail, how she goes about cutting together these narrative style interviews and a variety of other podcasty topics. So without further ado, welcome Olivia, the host of Mountaintop History and also my sister. Thanks, Justin. I'm really excited to be on the podcast today. Yeah. So getting started here, going on a year ago, you reached out to me about how you and the foundation were thinking about launching a Jefferson slash Monticello podcast. And I believe I gave you the microphone you're using today for Christmas, actually, uh, so you could get started. That was the extent about the extent of how much I helped because you're incredibly resourceful and basically said, oh, this is what you do professionally, Justin. I'll just do this as a small piece of what I do. Um, But in all seriousness, how did the idea of the podcast come to be at the foundation? Yeah, great question. So I came back to working at the Thomas Jefferson Foundation about a little more than a year ago. Now, some of my colleagues here had already been doing podcasts on and off for a while, but not as formally and not as much on a regular basis. One of my fellow tour guides, I'm also a full-time tour guide in addition to some of the other projects that I work on at Monticello, Uh, his name is Kyle Chattleton. He had this idea a little while back and has done some work with University of Virginia's radio. Uh, And so this idea for Mountaintop History, a short-form podcast, kind of started with Kyle, and then I jumped in and was like, hey, do you need any help? I love this idea. I want to be a part of it. And that's when I reached out to Justin to give me some resources and some help. And yes, can confirm that the microphone and headphones I'm using today were gifts from Justin uh, about a year ago as well. So the idea has kind of developed and now we release new episodes every two weeks. uh, And usually they range anywhere from about eight to 15 minutes. So they're meant to be short bits of history that people can maybe listen to on their way to visiting Monticello or. Uh, Something that can just give them little interesting facts without having to commit to an entire hour of a podcast. 
Yeah, and we're going to get into your view on length of episode shortly because I did notice that myself. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you about how you come up with your content ideas. So I've been on one of your tours at Monticello, and I know just you being my sister that you're a wealth of information uh, not only when it comes to broader uh, U.S. history, but very specifically Thomas Jefferson. But I am curious how you decide what your episodes are going to be about. So we are ambitious in the sense that, for instance, for 2022, at the beginning of the year, we came up with a whole bunch of ideas and we planned out the entire yearly calendar every two weeks. Some of those times we come up with content that is related to the time of year, to the things that were happening in history in the past around that time. Uh, so, for instance, around the 4th of July, we posted a podcast about the development of the Declaration of Independence being a topical content. But also we try to set these things out ahead of time because there are other members of the staff at Monticello who need to sign off on these topics to say, yes, you know, this is something that we want to explore further and something we want to uh, produce to give people more information. But things change over time, as they always do, and you end up uh, kind of changing topics here and there. The overall goal, though, is to present stories that maybe aren't told on every single tour or present things that people may not learn about when they come here on site but are interesting stories that tour guides probably wish they could tell uh, and just don't have enough time to do that. And those of us who produce the podcast, my co-host Kyle and I, oftentimes these are things that we're like, hey, that's an interesting story I read about in a book and I want to talk to people about uh, mm -hmm. that they probably won't hear if they come on my tour because I don't have enough time where I'm talking about the other important things that we talk about at Monticello as well. So for my audience... Uh, a lot of times they're not able to plan out a year in advance because they're trying to be timely with their show um, and speak to things that are happening in a certain space or industry. Example, you know, customer who's dealing with uh, their show is about real-time cancer research um, and then they're doing episodes, you know, in early, 2019, early 2020, mid-2020 about how COVID is impacting hospitals and things like that. Obviously, that's not evergreen content, it's much more going to be timely content. So is what you are doing with the podcast all evergreen content planned out for the year? Do you change at all what you're doing with your content calendar? It changes, but we try to stick to evergreen content in the sense that we want things that people will want to learn about regardless of if it's five years from now they, we want them to still want to listen to old episodes. And so, like I said, we, we produce new episodes every two weeks. But in the intermediary weeks, we also are re-releasing episodes that are multiple years old. Um, like older episodes of podcasts that have been produced in the past that aren't necessarily exactly a part of the same podcast show we do now. Mm. Uh, but also doing some re-editing and uh, making them sound a little bit better. And then uh, reproducing those too. So allowing the opportunity for some of the older content to still then come out as well. Yeah, and, and that's something I'm seeing a lot of even with shows that are timely is people trying to have evergreen content that can be used at any time or reused or what have you. I think the last guest who I interviewed on this show um, is in the you know crypto and stock and 
uh, financial sector and that stuff changes all the time. And he talked specifically about how he tries to do episodes also that are going to be evergreen content so that he can reuse the materials. So how often are you reusing old material compared to how often you're creating new material? So we try to release some form of podcast every Friday. Uh, and every two weeks, so every other week, it's always going to be new material. So we consider our new material to be bi-weekly. And then we're re-releasing old material essentially until we get to the point where we're at the modern podcast and then we won't be releasing the same modern podcast over again. Uh, but we're using some of the older stuff. There were podcast episodes, I mean, very few and far between recorded back in 2008 at Monticello, but they were really sparse and were not recorded in the same way that modern podcasts are. So mm -hmm. we're doing some work, like back-end work on that stuff as well. Well, thankfully, I don't think Jefferson has done much since 2008. No, no, he's been <laughs> dead the whole time. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk about the new episodes that you're producing. Um, let's start with the solo episodes. Um, I talked uh, up front about how these are much more heavily based in research and knowledge of what happened, you know, I think 250 years ago. I think that's accurate. You can correct me in a second. But I want to start there. What goes into your scripting for your solo episodes? Yeah. So I. It's good that I have a background in history, right, working where I do, and the fact that these are research-based episodes. So as a historian, I have a lot of training in historical research. So a lot goes into even just a short podcast. We mentioned a couple of times. These are not longer than 15 minutes, but a lot of research has to go into that. And I pull a lot from uh, firsthand accounts. So your primary resource is like letters that were written. Um, and so a lot of the research goes into uh, my favorite uh, website, Founders Archive Online, uh, which is a huge archive of thousands of letters written by uh, founders like Jefferson and Washington and others from that era as well. So we try to base a lot of what we're presenting on the primary sources rather than taking other historians' interpretations of what the primary sources say. Um, and a lot of times, the best way to talk about the history of Thomas Jefferson or of the enslaved people who lived on the Monticello plantation uh, or any of that is by looking at the words that were written in their time. And so I spend a lot of time in digital archives and reading letters and a lot of times reading those letters more than once because Jefferson didn't exactly write in a way that's easy to understand 200 plus years later. Um, but I also use uh, some historical like books and things like that as well. Um, so uh, anyone who ever visits my apartment will see many books related to the time period uh, and to Thomas Jefferson. And a lot of that goes into what I use for research on these podcasts. And do you have to go through a review process or do you have autonomy to be able to write your script and produce your episode? What does the actual script production and approval process look like? Yeah, good question. So I do often need to get it approved. I write the, the script itself and then it sometimes goes to various people. There is uh, one of my colleagues who is basically the head of our digital department. So he looks over all of my podcast scripts. But if it is in an area that we have other content experts 
and it's a solo script, they're not being um, interviewed on the podcast, a lot of times I do still send the script to them so that they can just check to make sure that the content is being shown accurately, that the quotes are being represented accurately as well. Uh, but luckily, most of the time, I don't get too much feedback uh, because I have a, a lot of experience doing it too. So it's a great to have that system of checks. Um, and there are many people who have worked here a very long time who are are such experts in their area that their feedback is really invaluable in the then furthering what the script can actually accomplish. Yeah, so let's talk about the pieces where you do bring in other people. Um, you're making these narrative style pieces where you bring on a guest to interview, but then you record yourself giving context. I, I don't think that that's done at that time. I assume you're doing it afterward. Um, but that's what I really want to get into. How do you create the narrative style pieces? Yeah, the times that I've been able to uh, interview some of my colleagues have been really cool because people, especially in like a museum like Monticello, there are people who have very different jobs. So I'll use an example. One of the ones I did in interview style was about something that our restoration team and curatorial team found in the house. It happened to be a chicken bone that had been replacing a piece of like a bracket on the wall, and they determined that it was, in fact, a chicken bone. But I was not there for any of that process, so I brought on two guests who were, who were a part of it. And the chicken bone team. The chicken bone team, yes. They came on to the podcast. I wanted to do this podcast because I thought it was perfectly ridiculous. And so bringing those content experts in was helpful because... They do a lot of like, science and things like that. I'm a historian. I don't do science. And they're historians as well, but they have a very different job than I do. Mm -hmm. And so the way we kind of set that up is, you're right, in those episodes, I do provide a little bit of context that I recorded later. But most of those sections I had written ahead of time as a way to present to the people who are joining me, this is what I'm going to be saying in between, and these are the few questions that I'm going to pose to you. Some people that I work with like to go off the cuff, uh, and some people prefer to write down their answers because they're not used to this type of recording um, and this type of kind of being on the spot for a podcast recording. So I offered those questions ahead of time so that whoever I was working with could either use them as a way to think about some ideas and then say it when I was with them or write them down ahead of time. And then I recorded my sections later just to kind of give it more of that contextual feel and not have to feel the pressure in the moment that it had to be recorded in one take. You know, I interview folks who just talk and like to talk. You know, sometimes it's marketers, other times it's sales folks. Uh, I am glad that you uh, clarified what you're talking about when you say founders, because my audience, a founder is someone who starts a technology company. Uh, yours is obviously a very different type of founder. Um, so I appreciate that. So we, you know, we interview very different people is the point that I'm making. And historians, you know, their words that whether they're written or spoken are their work. You know, I would imagine that many people who you talk to, or if they're being recorded, are cautious of a misstep um, in something that they say or that they want it to be exactly as their research says that it is. So what's it like uh, to interview people like that? And what's it like to interview historians? It is interesting because you're right. 
This is a lot of times the professional research and work that a historian is presenting on a podcast. And so they do want to be very specific about what they say and how they say it to make sure that their argument is standing true to the things that they've studied and done their research on. So I do find that sometimes writing it down is a big way that historians do that. Uh, and I've been to history conferences where someone stands in front and they take the paper that they wrote and they read it out loud. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't make for the most interesting history conference content, but it is to stay true to that research that they're doing. I have found that in re recording with historians and doing the more interview style when I've done these podcasts is I have to have more of a sense of flexibility because I have to set a time uh, across more time to sometimes have to retake to start over that section in the recording because maybe they fumbled something they were saying and it misrepresented what they were trying to present. And I've had to do that too, but it's more about being flexible and I don't present my podcast live by any means. So I at least can then go back and edit all of that kind of stuff out as well. But I find that that is helpful for people who are trying to use specific language. And it's also why I do my podcast style off of a script as well. So I write out exactly what I'm going to say because there is a lot of power in the language that we use in presenting historical content. And just to pivot a little bit, uh, I want to talk about some of the little cool things that you do in post-production in some of these, uh, the narrative style pieces. I think I noticed it more where uh, you add in some sound effects and it's kind of this cool like historical documentary style. You're talking about a boat and then I hear some water. How do you decide on how you're going to, ed uh, to edit an episode creatively? Yeah, for the um, the shorter podcasts on mountaintop history, which is the show that I mainly work on, we don't add as much by way of soundscaping. We do offer longer form podcasts that do have that, right? You talk about a boat and then you hear the whooshes of the waves and things like that. And sometimes it's just to add a little bit of an interesting flair. That comes from a little more of the digital team. Less of me personally in production saying, you know, what would be cool here is if I heard someone in the background reading out the Declaration of Independence, but more this what can add to it. A lot of what we also do as historians, at least in the way that I am, which is presenting to groups like a tour, is uh, trying to incorporate the senses. And when you're listening, you're just listening to words, but listening to other sounds helps to kind of create that feeling like you're there and it makes it a little more interesting. People tend to find history as boring because they think it's just dates and names. Uh, but I think that those kind of production elements definitely add to that sense of storytelling. And we use this word narrative style, right? And that's what we're doing is presenting a narrative, not a list of facts, but rather the actual story of what happened. And stories are more than words. They're also sounds and waves and cannon fire and whatever might suit the story. Yeah, it like gave me kind of, I don't know, a nostalgic feeling in a way of like, you know, when you used to get to watch a movie in history class and, and it's like it's a documentary and it's kind of boring, but it's still like kind of gave you the warm and fuzzies because the lights are going to get turned off and you're going to get to watch something. And I don't know, it was just, I, I it stood out to me and it yeah, I don't know, it made me feel something. And I think that's probably what you were going for. That's the goal, right, is in a nostalgic sense is also 
cool to us because if what you thought was at least somewhat interesting in your history class is the day you got to watch the documentary and I got to remind you of that, that's great. Because like I said, a lot of people think history and they're like, that is boring. I don't want to listen to it. Uh, but I think that the storytelling aspect, right, it takes you to like reenactments and things like that that you've seen over time. Uh, and that's where we want to connect people to something in their life that might be relevant. So earlier in the episode, we did talk about uh, the length of your episodes. Um, some are as short as five minutes. I think I even saw one less than five minutes. Others, 20 to 30 minutes. Um, what is your view on length of an episode and does it matter? I think it definitely matters. And I think that the length of the episode speaks to who we want the audience to be. So like I said, we have two separate and distinct podcasts that we produce. I work on Mountaintop History, the short form version. We have one called In the Course of Human Events, uh, which fun fact for uh, any of your listeners, those are the first words of the Declaration of Independence. In the Course of Human Events is our longer form podcast, usually between 20 and 30 minutes instead. We don't typically produce podcasts that are longer than 30 minutes. And I think part of that is because of the audience that we want to listen to these. Who listens to history podcasts longer than 30 minutes? Historians. <laughs> I get in a car and I drive and I have my history podcast and I'm like, oh yeah, can't wait for an hour-long history podcast about George Washington. But most people don't want that. I will crash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> I will fall asleep. And I actually probably like history more than the average person, or maybe I'm like in the median, but I don't know that I'm throwing that Maybe on. I force you a little bit to like yeah. history. <laughs> But the idea for uh, the average audience, right, maybe we're trying to reach our visitors before they come. And that's something that I think about when I do the production of the short podcast. And I started to think about this before. But then one day when I was here, I was getting on the shuttle to go up to my job. Monticello sits on top of a mountain. So I have to take a shuttle to get up to the house where I work. And I got on the shuttle and I have my name tag on and a woman sits next to me and she goes, wow, we listened to your podcast on the drive here. That was the first and only time I've ever been recognized. It was very big for me. But <laughs> the goal is that maybe people on their way to Monticello are like, let's see if there's anything we can listen to to prepare us or to give us something interesting, kind of get us in the mindset. So for me, the length of the episode goes to who you're trying to reach. And if you're trying to reach your average visitor, they want short things that they can, you know, Think about the end when it starts. And that sounds bad because I want people not to think about the end of the podcast when it begins. But it's like knowing that you don't have to commit that much time to it, but you can still learn something. And I think that learning and this kind of idea of me trying to teach people through a podcast uh, is that you want people to not feel like you're going to lecture at them. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, and do you feel like if uh, if somebody listens to the podcast on the way to go see you, uh, that it's like listening to a band before you go see the show? It, are, are you worried that maybe you're going to show yourself up or one of your other tour guides and they're going to wish that they had gotten Olivia? I can only hope that people come to Monticello and are like, I really want Olivia as my tour guide. <laughs> but I do think that the reason that we do some of the content as these uh, additional stories is to supplement people's visit here. Or on the converse, maybe it's not on their way to Monticello, but on their way home. 
And they say, you know, we heard great and interesting stories. I wonder if there's anything else we can learn. And then being able to hear additional things that they may not have learned about on their tour or even through like the exhibits and walking around the gardens and grounds. And so that's the type of content we try to highlight so that it just adds a layer to someone's visit or conversely allows people who can't visit in person still learn about Monticello in a way. And I want to talk to you a little bit about your podcasting journey. So you set out day one to produce your first podcast. What did you do? I was working alongside my co-host, Kyle, and we decided that for the first couple, we would try to at least work together in some way so that I could learn a little bit of the ropes. He was needing to take a step back, and it was a, a lot of responsibility, and I wanted to jump in and really be a part of it. So the first one we did actually was something I really enjoyed. Uh, and this was the first one I ever got a chance to work on. It was towards the very end of 2021, and we interviewed a number of tour guides and asked them to talk about a favorite quote that they wanted to use. It didn't have to be a quote said by Thomas Jefferson. It could be something about Monticello. It could be something about Jefferson. It could be something about the era that Jefferson lived in. And so we got to interview our colleagues that we work with every single day giving tours in the house. And then we added a little bit of context to each of those and put it all together as kind of this episode about favorite quotes that tour guides use. And I thought that that was a really cool way to start this off uh, is because that's what I'm used to doing is giving tours and using those quotes on my own tours. And so being able to work on that alongside Kyle was a really great start starting point at least. Uh, and then I used some of the resources from Motion and was able to kind of learn a little more about professional podcasting uh, and less of this kind of mom and pop style of us with like handheld microphones walking around and trying to find a quiet place on a mountaintop full of people to make it kind of this more regular and professionalized podcast experience. All right, Olivia. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. I'm sure I will talk to you probably in 20 minutes in our family group chat. It was great having you on Recorded Content. Thanks for listening to Recorded Content, a show brought to you by Motion, a done-for-you podcasting agency for B2B tech marketers. We do the podcast stuff so you can focus on strategy, building brand awareness, and developing new relationships. To learn more about how you can launch and grow a podcast for your company, check out motionagency.io. Thanks for listening to Recorded Content.